and bienvenue and welcome to The Musical Man, the podcast that shines new light on the Tony Award for Best Musical. Each week we examine the nominees and winners of that esteemed decoration, and this week we'll be discussing Romance Romance. Fashion is back in fashion. Come back into play. What's here I'm going to say? Romance, romance. Romance, romance. Romance, romance. Romance, romance. How are we doing? I hope this, the latest episode of The Musical Man, finds you well. Hey, I know that you have a question on your lips that is just dying to be given voice. Yes? Okay. (laughs) Well, I would like to address that question. What is the question? The question is, has Jonathan seen the trailer for Wicked Part 1? And here, here's an answer that might surprise you. No, I have not. And I was, and that's because I resolved this year to only watch movie trailers in a theatrical setting. Now, normally I would watch any and all trailers online the minute they drop. I love a movie trailer. My friend Brandon and I, oh, we, we hosted a, a podcast that was all about movie trailers back in the day. So, naturally, I have an instinct to want to see the trailer for Wicked. If my patience is going to be rewarded, it will be rewarded today because I am going to see a film in a theater and there will be trailers playing before this this brand new film. It just came out and I'm hoping that Wicked Part 1 is included in that trailer package. Now you might be wondering, what's the new movie I'm going to see later today? Of course the film is Madam Web. Speaking of my friend Brandon, we are in different cities, different parts of the country, and yet we resolved we made our own resolution to watch Madam Web in our corners, in our in our respective necks of the wood. He's in one neck of the wood, I'm in another neck of the wood. And we're both seeing Madam Web so we can talk about it together. <laughs> because that's the sort of friendship Brandon and I have. And uh, <laughs> that's all I have to say about that. Madam Web, oh no, it's in my near future. Uh, does she know I'm coming? She does have premonition powers. Spider premonition powers. It is now time to share the show facts for our latest main feed subject, Romance Romance. Show me the show facts you say, all right, I will. Romance Romance was a 1988 nominee for the Tony Award for Best Musical. It opened on May 1st, 1988 at the Helen Hayes Theater and ran for 297 performances. The book was written by Barry Harmon, who has no additional Broadway credits, and the music was written by Keith Herman, uh, who also wrote the music for Onward Victoria that played on Broadway for one performance, and the lyrics were written by Barry Harmon. Hello again, Barry. Today's subject is actually two musicals in one. The first, The Little Comedy, is based on the George Edward Reynolds translation of a short story by Arthur Schnitzler. The second musical, Summer Share, is based on the Max Gulak translation of Pain de Menage, the 1898 play by Jules Renard. 
I have no idea when Arthur's short story was written. Don't ask me about that. Oh, I tried to find the answer to that question, but I... I failed you. I failed you. The director of the Broadway, the original Broadway production of Romance Romance, was Barry Harmon. Hello again, Barry. Musical director Kathy Sommer. Orchestrations Michael Starobin. Hello again, Michael. Choreographer Pamela Sousa. Scenic design Stephen Rubin. Lighting design Craig Miller. Sound design Peter Fitzgerald. And costume design Stephen Jones. Here is the original Broadway cast in its entirety. We start with Scott Bakula, whose film and TV credits in include Quantum Leap, Designing Women, Color of Night, Murphy Brown, Cats Don't Dance, American Beauty, Star Trek Enterprise, Guys and Dolls at the Hollywood Bowl, The Informant, and NCIS New Orleans. Romance Romance was Bakula's final Broadway credit following Is There Life After High School, for which he was an understudy, and Marilyn, the 1983 Marilyn Monroe musical for which he played Joe DiMaggio. A team of five wrote the music and lyrics for Marilyn, which only ran for 17 performances. Ah! But I see Mr. Bakula is also in The Connector, the new Jason Robert Brown musical currently playing off-Broadway. Congrats, Scotty. Side note, did we discuss Guys and Dolls at the Hollywood Bowl during our coverage of Guys and Dolls? Because the casting is bananas. Bakula and Ellen Green play Nathan Detroit and Adelaide. Brian Stokes Mitchell and Jessica Beale play Sky Masterson and Sarah Brown. Mitchell is 25 years older than Beale. And who's that over there playing a hotbox girl? None other than Valerie Pettiford of Fosse fame. Hello again, Valerie. Allison Fraser is also a member of our Romance Romance cast. Uh, her voice sounds incredibly familiar to me, but having reviewed her IMDb and Broadway credits, I'm afraid I can't make a connection. She's done quite a bit of work in video games and animation, including 15 episodes of Ace Ventura Pet Detective, and appeared in such musicals as The Mystery of Edwin Drood, The Secret Garden, and the 2009 Broadway revival of Gypsy. Uh, maybe Gypsy is the key to this mystery? I have no clue. Our next cast member is Deborah Graham. She was an understudy and dance captain for Stardust, the Mitchell Parrish musical, which starred, among others, the one and only Andre DeShields. I've never heard of this musical, which ran for 107 performances back in 1987, and it doesn't have a Wikipedia page, which is, it's not a good sign, I would say it's a bad sign. <laughs> the IBDB page for Stardust doesn't even spell Mitchell Parrish's last name correctly. There's only one R in Parrish, y'all. Get hep! Robert Hosier was Tumble Brutus in the original cast of Cats, the pilot in The Little Prince and The Aviator, a musical that never officially opened on Broadway. <laughs> and an understudy. He was an understudy for the role of William Shakespeare in Marlowe. You know, Marlowe, the Broadway musical about Christopher Marlowe that ran for 48 performances? That would have been back in 1981, uh, just for the record. Uh, so, <laughs> per Frank Rich of the New York Times, I find this quote funny. This is from his review of Marlowe. Quote, Tacky looking and sparsely populated, this show lacks the Titanic-like splendor and expenditure of Broadway's all-time fabulous wrecks. 
quote. <laughs> Fair enough, Frank. Jana Robbins is the first of our standbys for Romance Romance. She went on to become a successful producer, stewarding the original Broadway production of Little Women, the 2009 revival of Ragtime, and the recent 2021 revival of Company. And last, but certainly not least, is Sal Viviano, our second standby. He started out on Broadway in The Three Musketeers, a musical adventure. All these musicals I've never fucking heard of, but I'm fascinated. I want to know more. That ran for nine performances. Ay, ay, ay. He continued with replacement runs in City of Angels, The Life, The Full Monty, and Falsettos. Hey, guess who wrote additional vocal arrangements for Falsettos? Our lead actress, Alison Fraser. Yes, it's true. Yes, Queen. Tony Knotts. Okay, so the show was nominated for the following Tony Awards. Best Musical, of course, but also Best Book of a Musical, Barry Harmon. Best Original Score, Barry Harmon and Keith Harmon. <laughs> Not the same person, despite having very similar last names. Best Actor in a Musical, Scott Bakula, and Best Actress in a Musical, Alison Fraser. So, that's five nominations in total. Unfortunately, zero awards when all was said and done. Oh, it's okay. It's all right. I would now like to relay the plot of the first of our two musicals, that being The Little Comedy. Are you ready for the plot of The Little Comedy? All right. In a series of letters written to their friends, obscenely wealthy aristocrats Alfred von Willemus and Josephine Wellinger complain about their lives. The pleasures of early 20th century Vienna have left them feeling cold. Alfred wastes most of his time getting drunk with a couple of creeps named Fritz and Mimi. Fritz and Mimi are in a relationship, I, I should say that, and during a late-night carriage ride, the utterly shameless Mimi gives Arthur a hand job while Fritz sleeps mere inches away. Arthur very nearly ejaculates, but the moment is spoiled when Fritz rises out of his stupor. Fritz and Mimi laugh at Arthur <laughs> and leave him to wallow in his humiliation. If it sounds like I made that part up, the whole hand job moment, uh, just believe me, I, I did not. That is very much a part of the plot. Meanwhile, Josephine has grown tired of her lover, Emile. Their courtship once burned bright and hot. Now it is little more than a string of broken dates. But before Josephine can break it off with Emile, he manages to strike first. Josephine is shocked by the heartache and tears that follow. Oh, what is to be done now? What can be done when the world is at your feet and nothing excites you? The world is my oyster and I hate oysters! Suddenly and completely independent of each other, Arthur and Josephine hit upon the same idea. They shall disguise them themselves as commoners and have an affair with a member of the hoi polloi. Josephine's costume consists of a calico dress and a straw hat. Arthur's costume consists of a hunting jacket, one loose flowing tie, and a soft hat. Everyone knows poor men adore a soft hat. While cruising the boulevard, Arthur and Josephine cross paths and are instantly taken with each other. Arthur leads Josephine to believe he is a starving poet who sends most of his money to an ailing mother. Josephine leads Arthur to believe she is a milliner who is terribly unlucky in love. Arthur and Josephine are delighted by their respective performances, and they enter into a 19-day dalliance that culminates with a week-long trip to the country. 
But when the country proves to be a filthy, crushing bore, they hastily devise excuses for returning to the city. Back in their respective laps of luxury, Arthur and Josephine casually admit to feelings of guilt. Josephine may love her poet, and Arthur may love his milliner, but the relationship is based on a pack of lies, lies, lies! And it's not like either of them would ever marry a poor person, are you kidding me? What would people say? Arthur's resolve is firm. I shall reveal my true self, shower Josephine with riches, and make a swift exit from her life. Josephine's resolve is equally firm. I shall reveal my true self, shower Arthur with riches, and make a swift exit from his life. The climactic meeting is arranged. Arthur appears in a tux. Josephine appears in a ruby red gown. They do not recognize each other at first, but when the truth is revealed, they cannot help but laugh. Ha ha ha! What a little comedy this is! They agree to continue seeing each other, and though Arthur assumes their passion will sour soon enough, Josephine has her sights set on marriage. Oh, romance, romance! Lest anyone forget, the bulk of the narrative is communicated via Arthur and Josephine's letters. There are moments when the characters actually look at each other and engage in conversation, but for the most part, they turn to us to explain what has already happened or what they plan to do. If you didn't know this was based on a short story, you would most definitely know it before the curtain came down. That's the plot of Act 1. What else can I say? I have nothing else to say about Act 1. Let's move on to Act 2, Summer Share. This is the story of two married couples, Lenny and Monica. Monica and Sam and Barb. They live in NYC, New York City, in the late 1980s, and man, could they use a break. The Big Apple is nothing more than a big headache these days between work and the kids. Aye, aye, aye. It's time to get away from it all. Time to rent a cozy cottage, otherwise known as a summer share, and recharge among friends. And these four really are the best of friends. Peas in a pod. They be. Well, to be clear, uh, to be clear, Sam and Monica were friends long before they met their partners, and sure, they've always been attracted to each other, but they would never cheat on Lenny and Barb. Having sex would only spoil things. And who says men and women can't be friends, huh? Men and women can be friends! Men and women can be friends! But then, in the middle of a humid, moonlit night, Sam makes a startling confession. He has always loved Monica. He doesn't view her as a woman. He views her as the woman. Oh, the woman of his dreams. Sam and Monica agree to steal away and make passionate love. But moments after pulling out of the driveway, they return feeling disillusioned and distraught. Nothing happened, you understand, and it's clear nothing ever will. But they flirted with disaster, and now their lives are ruined. Oh, romance, romance. This is a comedy, by the way. They toss a bit of optimistic hooey in at the end. Something about uh, never letting 
letting go of your romantic notions. But make no mistake, these assholes have effectively destroyed their marriages, and I do not feel sorry for them. The end. <laughs> for the purposes of this week's episode, I began by reading the 1988 book, The Libretto by Barry Harmon. Hey, much thanks to the Hennepin County Library System, who had multiple copies of this libretto, and so I, I plucked one from the shelves, and I read it. Is it ever a good sign when the show's logo is a crucial part of the scenic design? To quote the stage directions, quote, Masking the scrim is a large framed heart, bearing the heart-shaped logo, romance, romance, quote, Sounds tacky, and I've seen photos. It is tacky. It's very large, and it's very shiny, very shimmery, very distracting. In the first act, a little comedy, remember Deborah Graham and Robert Hoser play a variety of parts, from a maidservant and a butler, to Emile, Josephine's unreliable lover, and Mimi, the woman who only needs one hand to do a job. None of these characters make much of a, make much of a splash, because they only serve to compliment Arthur and Josephine. In Act 2, Summershare, the only characters Graham and Ho- Hey, Sore! Have to worry about. The only characters they have to worry about are Lenny and Barb. And I thought, well, surely this means they'll have something to chew on, but the roles of Lenny and Barb are just as thankless. They never interact with Sam and Monica, not face-to-face -face at least. Instead, Lenny and Barb stand apart from the action, uh, watching and commenting on Sam and Monica's escapades as if they were a cut-rate Greek chorus. And uh, let's just say their commentary doesn't fly off the page. In general, Romance Romance is very interested in putting distance between character and action. Why watch characters make decisions in the heat of the moment when they can just tell you what they did in the form of a letter? Why confront the sexual politics of two married couples brushing up against each other when you can uh, put one half of each couple in a silo where they have no ability to affect the plot? Yes, better to do that than pull focus from our stars. All eyes must be on Scott Bakula and Allison Fraser. That seems to be the logic, at least. We know Summer Share is set in modern times. <laughs> oh, because Lenny enters with a squash racket and a newspaper. And Barb enters with a laptop computer and a box of Pampers. A laptop computer and a newspaper? Huh, early 20th century Vienna this ain't. Welcome to the 80s. But wait, here's Sam. He, quote, wears radio headphones and mimes playing an air guitar to music only he can hear, quote. Whoa. Monica, quote, wears sunglasses and totes a large shoulder bag, quote. <laughs> a shoulder bag? Fuck me! Every joke Barry Harmon wrote for Summershare is a bomb that explodes in his face. Get a load of this malarkey. At one point, Monica says to Sam, It's 2.30 in the morning. At this hour, my husband could sleep through sex and frequently does. Oh! Ah, here's another, here's another wham, wham, bam zinger for you. Monica has been pestering Sam on the subject of whether or not he would ever cheat on Barb. And Sam says, Oh, okay, uh, there was this one wild weekend in Duluth. And Monica says, give me a break. And Sam says, give me a break. Give me a break. Give me a fucking break. 
That's a joke? Oh, there was one wild weekend in Duluth. Fuck you. And then later, Sam says, how long are we friends now? Through college, my Barb, your Lenny? That's a pretty impressive record. And Monica, who's eating ice cream in this moment, says, this is pretty impressive mocha almond fudge. And Sam says, hey, jerkhead, I'm waxing sentimental. And she says, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead, wax. <laughs> and here's the final bit of transcription I, I have for you. Monica says, I suppose Barb is convinced I'm ready to pounce on you the moment her back is turned. And Sam says, oh, she used to be. You come on pretty strong, but over the years, she's come to realize you're strictly a NATO personality. And Monica says, NATO. And Sam says, no action, talk only. <laughs> this is the whitest shit I've ever read. Who could possibly care about these people? Fuck, don't fuck, what the hell do I care? You're strictly a NATO personality. Are you kidding me? Neil Simon would puke. I then listened to the 1988 original Broadway cast album of Romance Romance. We'll get to it. And I watched the 1988 Tony Awards performance of I'll Always Remember the Song and It's Not Too Late. Letterboxd and the IMDB would have me believe there is a pro shot, a pro shot of Romance Romance from 1992 starring John Herrera and Susan Moniz. It's on YouTube, Jonathan. It, uh, it is? Really? Well, let me look into that. Uh, oh, thank God. There's an ambient clicking noise pulsing through the whole thing. No one should have to sit through an hour and 52 minutes of that. So uh, let's move on, shall we? Well, the clicking stops after a few minutes, Jonathan. Let's move on, shall we? Nothing's gone the way I planned My life has taken turns I don't begin to understand I hear the drum My time has come The play's about to start But I can't recall my part Is the mask I'm wearing Comical or tragic Something precious has been lost my mind keeps going over all the bridges I have crossed Yet strange to say, as dark and grey and hopeless as it seems I am not without my dreams Though it sounds naive, I still believe in magic Why is it too late for falling in love? Isn't there some chance? Of finding romance with someone young and sweet Someone I have yet to meet There's a voice inside my head that keeps repeating It's not too late It's not too late It's not too late Lately And I have lost my share of souvenirs Yet each 
is it too late for falling in love? Isn't there some chance of finding romance? Just walking down the street, heaven knows who I might meet. There's a voice inside my head that keeps repeating. There's no reason not to With someone young and sweet Someone I have yet to meet Just as long as there's a heart within you feeling It's not too late 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 is the only number from Romance Romance I well and truly liked. The cloying keyboard tones were a mistake, and Barry Harmon's lyrics tend to slide right off the brain. But the spirit of the thing is what counts, and this song has bliss to spare. Bacula and Fraser sound pretty darn great, like a pair of lovelorn nobles in an animated movie. A, a movie that can't afford Howard Ashman or Alan Menken. A movie like The Swan Princess, but I digress. These are big-hearted, full-throated performances, and I admire how they hurl themselves at the material. And keyboard aside, the music is enlivening. Keith Harmon, you done good, kid, in this one instance, at least. You done good. You know who Allison Fraser sounds like? Glennis Johns from Mary Poppins. That must be the connection, right? Let's say it is and consider the case closed. That's why I find her to be so familiar in some strange way. In summary, if you can only listen to one track from today's cast album, be sure to select It's Not Too Late. Uh, that would be track three. Don't worry about track 15. That's the act two reprise. Nothing more than a pale imitation of the original it be. Yes, they 
think of it, the first act of Romance Romance has a lot in common with Jeffrey Stock and Susan Birkenhead's Triumph of Love. Both are set in the past and take place in sumptuous European locales. Their scores whip up a blend of period and pop, and their stories are populated with well-to-do characters who are obsessed with love. It's all they talk and or sing about. And I understand that's literally the name of the game. You don't choose a title like Triumph of Love or Romance Romance without going all in on a theme, but you can't always zig. You get me? Sometimes you gotta zag, if only for the sake of keeping the audience awakened on their toes. I can't sit through an uninterrupted stream of love songs. Josephine sings in this instance, yes, it's love, and I'm over here thinking, so what else is new? Come on, let's change things up. Give me a song that's not a glorified Valentine's Day card. What are you, yella? Huh? Is that what it is? Huh? What are you, yella? Alfred von Vilmers to Theodore Dealing in Naples. Dear Theodore, We are staying at a rustic country inn. I'm the happiest that I have ever been. Though our lodgings are remote, over 30 leagues from town, I have hardly even noticed that it crept and run down. We go walking through the forest every day. There is nothing else to do here anyway. Still it's easy on the purse, though the bed's in disrepair. And I've eaten food that's worse, though I can't remember where. So peaceful, so tranquil. No loud, obnoxious outsiders. Not a thing that might intrude on a solitary mood. Just she and I and the spiders. If you're looking for a cozy little spot Let me make it clear that's what this spot is not Though the fresh air is a treat, we delight in every breath And it's lucky we are sweethearts, how we both be bored to death enough, I suppose. Rustic Country Inn finds Arthur shrieking about spiders while Josephine suffocates from boredom. Life-changing material it ain't, but at least no one's singing about love. I still say the keyboard sounds like crap. The tinny Tinker Toy keyboard was a plague, a plague on Broadway's house for far too long, and I can't believe we gave it this much room to flex. What's to flex? You sound shrimpy, keyboard. 
I have nothing more to say about Rustic Country Inn. I'm, I'm sure it would delight anyone who listened to a little night music and thought, I like it, but does it have to be this good? Make it substantially less interesting, and maybe, maybe then we'll talk. I've never met such a person, but I'm sure they exist, right? Oh. Summer Share confirmed all of my fears as I moved into Act 2. In shifting our focus from early 20th century Vienna to America in the late 1980s, we've ditched the subtle pop flavoring and gone full kitsch. This shit makes Maltby and Shire's baby sound positively cutting edge. The music is obnoxious, the lyrics are meaningless, and the mediocre vocal arrangement makes the actors sound overtaxed. A summer share, a summer share. They shouldn't be pushing up against that phrase. Make it simpler, cleaner. I'm sorry to report, it only gets worse from here, folks. If you thought the tale of Sam and Monica almost having an affair read as mundane, oh, just wait until you hear it play out. Look at us. A normal, healthy male. An attractive, relatively well-balanced female. Yet, here we are. Proof that platonic relationships really work. Think of the odds, a man and a woman. She isn't frigid and he isn't gay. Think of the odds. What do you wager? Sexual issues will get in the way. How many say there's a definite threat? Come on and play. It's called marriage roulette. Think of the odds and place your bet. So we're platonic.
Big deal. Come on. Don't tell me your husband doesn't sleep better knowing I'm one person who's not going to make a pass at his wife. Absolutely. He says so all the time. Of all my girlfriends, you are his favorite. Think of the odds, a man and a woman. Listen in closely and fill in the gaps. Think of the odds. What do you venture? Both harbor feelings they keep under wraps. How many think she is ripe for romance? How many think he will make an advance? Given the, the odds, there's half a chance. Not that she would ever be willing. My faith in him is implicit. But there's nothing so thrilling as doing something illicit. the odds. Are we in trouble? Can they continue their balancing act? Friendships with men can be very complex. Especially when he keeps flexing his pecs. Given the odds, we'll break their necks. And I suppose your wife is convinced I'm ready to pounce on you the moment her back is turned. Well, she used to be. I mean, you come on pretty strong, but over the years, he's come to realize you're strictly a NATO personality. NATO? No action, talk only. Ugh, somebody do me a favor and chuck that keyboard into the East River. You cannot charge Broadway prices and rely this heavily on a spare keyboard melody. It's not right, I tell ya. I expect to hear that in the context of a rehearsal, not a major, not at a major New York venue, no. I feel sorry for Bakula and Fraser. This, now, this number, Think of the Odds, includes some of the worst dialogue from Barry Harmon's book, and our stars cannot get out from under it. They never had a chance. He sounds like a game show host, she sounds like a stand-up comedian, and together, they sound like standbys for a touring production of I Love You, You're Perfect, Now Change. Here's the crazy thing. Romance Romance premiered in 1988, as you may recall, and when Harry Met Sally wouldn't be in theaters until 1989. I was ready to blame this whole rotten act on When Harry Met Sally's influence, and now here I am with my dick in my hands. How did you feel about the gay joke? It made me want to die? How's that for a reaction? Lyrical lowlights from Think of the Odds include this bonbon, uh, quote, Friendships with men can be very complex, especially when he keeps flexing his pecs. Quote, These are the sort of lyrics you write when you have zero interest in humanity. And I don't think we should... I don't, I don't think we would have heard this in the clip. No, no, no. But the song ends with Larry and Barb singing, End of song. End of song. That's how the song ends. Talk about a cry for help. <laughs> Positioning Lenny and Barb so they hover over and merely observe the story as it unfolds doesn't work at all. They have no agency. It's like they're dead. It's like they're ghosts who can't stand the thought of their partners getting together. And that's not the worst idea for a story, actually, so long as the ghosts actually affect the course of events. Characters want things, and they should have the ability to obtain what
what they want. Nobody wants to watch Lenny and Barb kvetching for an hour, trust me. Let's say Lenny were to cheat on you. What would you do? Plan A. If ever I discover he's unfaithful, I never wanted you to I'm know. not about to blubber we for The away. whole thing happened months ago. I have forgotten. Right on the spot, I'll turn around and also be unfaithful. These things happen. With the closest available man. You did what? When and with who? And I do it so fast, neither of us is sure who cheated on who first. Don't get angry, get even. I approve. <laughs> and plan B? Oh, this is good. The day I find out. That very night I turn into a nymph. I really have all I can Voracious and demanding as can If we don't be. take a little break, I'm gonna drop. I'll never stop. Because I'm such a hot and horned nymph. I'm exhausted. He's impotent with anyone but me. Plans A and B. This is the song you walk out on. I wanted to walk out at least, turn off my phone, move to the mountains, learn the ancient art of macrame. I can't stand how this straw man version of Lenny is like, oh, the affair I never told you about? Honey, please, that was so trivial I half forgot about it. Could we at least pretend these characters live in the real world with the rest of us? Because nobody, nobody would respond to an accusation of infidelity with I half forgot about it already. You could run a thousand scenarios, a million, and no one would ever say that. I've given Barry Harmon, Harmon, I've given Barry Harmon a lot of shit in this episode, but really, Barry, you have to try pretty hard to be this lazy with your characterizations. We could hear selections from the rest of this act, but believe me when I say that would be a waste of your time and mine, but if you'd like to hear my notes, here they are. Let's not talk about it. That's another song. Finds Sam and his wife Barb discussing adultery. Sam wants to know what Barb would do if he cheated on her, and her response is, nothing. I would do nothing. For Sam, this is not a satisfactory response. He wants Barb to, uh, you know, get angry, get even, fight for the survival of their marriage. Sam is an asshole. Anyone who pesters their partner about how they would respond to infidelity doesn't deserve to be married in the first place. Here's a fun exercise. Imagine Danny the Cat from Cats Don't Dance in this situation, badgering his human wife, backing her into a mental corner. What would you do if I, Danny the Cat, cheated on you, Barb the Human Woman? Meow, tell me, meow, meow. There comes a point in this act when the tone veers from romantic comedy to straight-up romance, just dyed-in-the-wool, uh, very earnest romantic story is what it becomes. Like, we're suddenly interested in remaking an affair to remember, and you can guess how well that turns out. Bakula hacks his way through a mile and a half of dense jungle foliage in a desperate search for poignancy, and all I could think was, Bakula rhymes with Dracula. I am Count Bakula, blah, blah. But then we pump the brakes on the tortured melodrama long enough for Lenny and Barb to appear in wacky old age makeup. Oh, what? 
Per the stage directions, quote, Barb staggers on with a walker. Lenny follows using a cane. Quote, This leads us into My Love For You, and like many of the songs on this cast album, it doesn't have a proper ending. It simply fades out as if it were playing on the radio. Did you finish the song? Here's an idea. Maybe you could end this song with the phrase, End of song! You want to do that again? You... <laughs> <laughs> you make me mad is what you do. You make me mad. Okay, that's all I have to say regarding the thoroughly mediocre score for Romance Romance. It is now time to hear from our fine, fine sponsor, 5678 Coffee. Take it away, 5678. in the dark. Oh, 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 Papa, it's you. Papa, Papa. Hey, you're not Papa. Who are you? Oh, <laughs> Brian, sorry. Oh, I'm so sorry, honey. <laughs> I thought you were Papa for a second. I've just been, I've been so lonely here in, the, in this dark little dank little room of ours. Oh, give me a kiss. Oh, give me two more kisses. Oh, yeah. oh, Brian, it's been so long, Cliff. Cliff, where'd you go? Oh, you, you got me some five, six, seven, eight coffee. Oh, I totally forgot. Oh, of course. That's why you left me all alone in this dark in a room with my hands up to my head, my fingers moving through my hair. I'm going nuts, Brian. Cliff, what are you? Oh, give me that five, six, seven, eight coffee. I need it. <laughs> yum, yum. This is my favorite thing outside of Papa. Oh, <laughs> I've been waiting for Papa to call me all day. He said I was going to be in his new movie, Cliff. He said I was going to be in The Lone Ranger. He said I was going to play The Lone Ranger. He said, Sally, Sally, you're going to do it. You're going to ride on the horse and you're going to wear the little mask and go blam, blam with your guns and here I am with my with my hands up to my head my fingers moving through my little bow cut that's why they call me Sally Bowles because of my little bow cut <laughs> well thank you for bringing me the five six seven eight coffee Brian Christopher oh, Cliff you're a real darling peach give me a kiss give me five more kisses how many was that just four give me one more hey who wants a prairie oyster that'll, that'll, that'll really kick things up that'll really get things going yeah Come on, Brian Cliff, Christopher Cliff. I'll make you a prairie oyster. I'll get a couple of eggs here. Crack, crack. I'll put some vinegar in there. Some what? Worcestershire. Worcestershire sauce. <laughs> Salt and pepper. Oh, just a pinch and a, just a pinch and a dash. <laughs> and some Captain Crunchies. Put some Captain Crunchies in there, Brian Cliff, Cliff, Christopher. <laughs> and of course, some five, six, seven, eight coffee to give it that rich mountain taste I love so much. <laughs> All right, bottoms up. <laughs> it tastes like shit. <laughs> I love you very much, honey. Give me a million kisses. <laughs> Start with one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. <laughs> a lot more kisses to go, Brian. Christopher, Cliff! <laughs> Final thoughts regarding Romance, Romance. If only every song from Romance, Romance were as good as It's Not Too Late. 
And that song's not even great. It's just good, squarely good. My standard of excellence is not that high. It's not. I get a lot of enjoyment out of Frank Wildhorn musicals, and when you can't even operate at Frank's level, you might as well get out the game. Get out the game! Now, in 1988, the winner of the Tony Award for Best Musical was The Phantom of the Opera, and the additional nominees that season were Into the Woods and Serafina. The question is, did Romance Romance deserve to win out over The Phantom? of the opera? And the answer is, of course, no. We should have given the award to Serafina or Into the Woods. Take your pick. Both shows are much better than The Phantom of the Opera and <laughs> much, much better than Romance, Romance, by golly. Uh, but did you notice we've covered all of the shows in this set of nominees, which means it's time to hear from our old friend, ah, Shrek. Shrek, come on in and talk to us, our dear, dear friend. It's me, Shrek, again. I'm fully fucking naked. <laughs> That's right. I'm not wearing fuck all. My little vest that I normally wear. My little short pants. My little bootsies. No, I'm fully fucking naked. And I'm covered in fucking baby oil. That's because you caught me in a very romantic moment. <laughs> Speaking of romance, romance, uh, that's not a show that I'm going to say, get in my belly to. Of course, this is the moment when I tell a show to get in my belly. And romance, romance, no way. I'm not gonna do that. I'm not interested in jumping on a 1980s yuppies. Well, I do, I suppose, like the idea of crunching some on some aristocrats from 20th century Vienna. Yeah, those wealthy bastards eat the rich, literally. <laughs> but, you know, if you take the first act, you have to take the second. And no, I don't want the yuppies to be anywhere near my dummy. No, they give me the, the fucking gaseous vapors. And not the good kind, if you know what I mean. Sorry, I'm rubbing my fucking nipples right now. I've been rubbing them the whole time. And oh, God, I'm really getting going. I have to hurry up. Donkey's waiting for me. Okay, so... What are my other options here? The Phantom of the Opera? No, I'm afraid that's a no from me, laddie, because, you know, those little opera masks, they don't digest, my acids don't break them down, and then they get caught in my fucking asshole. Oh, they rip me up. Oh, they do, they do. So no to the Phantom of the Opera, no. Uh, and Serafina, oh, those little children. Oh, no, no, I can't put them in my tummy. No, are you kidding me? No, that would be so terrible. No, 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 I can't do that to the little children. But but I can do it to the fucking fairy tale creatures of Into the Woods. <laughs> you know how much I fucking hate those little fairy tale critters and creatures. So I tell you, Sleeping Beauty, Cinderella, uh, the fucking witch, Red Riding Hood, the wolf, everybody fucking line up because I had to tell you this. I love to tell you this. What am I talking about? <laughs> I said to you, get in my belly. That's what I said to you. Now, Donkey, get over here. My hole is hungry. <laughs> oh, that's right. Donkey's going to top me. I don't normally bottom, you know. But what can I say? The hole wants what the hole wants. <laughs> All right. I'm sure I'll see you again very, very soon. Oh, Donkey, he's inside me. Okay, bye-bye. Go, go. Bye. Oh, God.
Ay, ay, ay. That was more graphic than usual. <laughs> I don't know what I expected. Oh, but you know, we always do. Uh, on, on In principle, we always do like it when Shrek stops by. So, so thank you, Shrek. It is now time to rank Romance Romance against all of the other shows. We've talked about here on the podcast. If you want to check out that ranked list of ours, go to patreon.com slash musicalmanpod. Click through the pinned post. You'll be taken to our link tree. That's where you can find access to our Google spreadsheet, the second tab of which provides that ranked list for you. Ah, it's true. So Romance Romance you are 131 on our list of shows between Carnival at 130 and Sugar at 132. Congratulations, Romance Romance. You are absolutely in the bottom tier of our list. I have two pieces of show-related ephemera for you today. The first is Quantum Leap, Season 2, Episode 10, Catch a Falling Star. Original air date, December 6th, 1989 on NBC. In this episode of Quantum Leap, Dr. Sam Beckett leaps into the body of an alcoholic actor living in the 1970s. Are we familiar with the premise of Quantum Leap? Uh, this guy, he he travels through time, leaping into the bodies of other people so he can, like, you know, make their lives better and, 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 and such. Not by choice, you understand. The leaping just sort of happens to him. It's the premise of the show. Anyway, this actor is in a production of Man of La Mancha, which means Scott Bakula got to sing the impossible dream. Do your thing, Scotty boy. To dream the impossible dream. To fight the unbeatable foe. To bear with unbearable sorrow. To run where the brave dare not go. To right the unrightable wrong To love pure and chaste from afar To try when your arms are too weary To reach the unreachable star This is my quest to follow that star No matter how hopeless, no matter how far, to fight for the right without question or pause, to be willing to march into hell for a heavenly cause. And I know if I'll only be true to this glorious quest, that my When I'm laid to my rest And the world will be better for this That one man, scorned and covered with scars Still strove with his last ounce of courage To reach the unreachable
We're not done with Scotty because my second and final piece of show-related ephemera is the song Nothing's Gonna Stop Us Now from the very underrated film Cats Don't Dance. This clip features Scott Bakula and the one and only Natalie Cole. Scott, Natalie, go, go, go! Excuse me, ladies and gentlemen, if you would be so kind. Got someone very special here. She's about to speak her mind. I got a song to sing If you don't like my song I'm gonna sing it anyhow Curiosity killed the cat. I'm living proof that that's a lie. which show we discuss next, we'll need to take a ride on the musical carousel, otherwise known as the random number generator I named after that classic Rogers and Hammerstein show, Three Bedrooms and 10,000 Bathrooms. Everyone ready? Then away we go. subject of the main feed is a 1993 nominee for the Tony Award for Best Musical. It ran for 899 performances, and the name of that show is The Who's Tommy. Oh, The Who's Tommy. He's a... <laughs> that deaf, dumb, and blind kid sure plays a mean pinball. Hey, how'd you like that? <laughs> that episode is going to drop March 13th. Wednesday, March 13th, because we're going to take, uh, take one week to produce a brand new $1 a month bonus episode that will drop exclusively on our Patreon platform. And then I'm just going to take a week off. I would like to take a week off, and so I shall. So be on the lookout for our next main feed episode on when... Ah, did you forget? That's right. No, you didn't forget. Wednesday, March 13th. That's right. Go to patreon.com slash musicalmanpod to find out how you can support the show financially. As a reminder, 100% of every monthly payout is donated to the Planned Parenthood Action Fund. You can donate $1, $3, $5, or $10 a month. What do you get if you donate $1 a month? Well, you get Monday early access to all of these main feed episodes. Everyone else will be waiting until Wednesday, you'll get them first thing Monday morning. You'll get a verbal shout-out each and every 
time we get together here on the main feed. Thank you so much for donating at least $1 a month. Caroline, Helena, Greg, Andy, Elizabeth, Aaron, Jason, Jack, Vitor, Sydney, Katie, Elena, Anton, Ross, HJG, Jared, Eli, David, Dave, Christopher, Neil, Brian, Robin, Liz, Carrie, Maddie, Jonathan, Marcus, Rob, Shauna, Shianti, Roberto, Jordan, Ashley, Chris, JC, Jenna, Aaron, Lily, Haley, Brandon, Brad, Matt, Zach, and Marisol. $1 a month Patreon donors also get 20 bonus episodes regarding the following subjects. The 73rd Annual Tony Awards, the trailer for the film Cats, The Little Mermaid Live, a full review of the film Cats, Emma at Chicago Shakespeare Theater, Take Me to the World, a Sondheim 90th birthday celebration, Hamilton via Disney+, Plus, Documentary Now, Original Cast Album, Co-op, John Mulaney and the Sack Lunch Bunch, Jingle Jangle, A Christmas Journey, Dolly Parton's Christmas on the Square, Arlo the Alligator Boy, the trailer for Steven Spielberg's West Side Story, Vivo, the Tony Awards present Broadway's Back, Diana, Annie Live, The Notebook at Chicago Shakespeare Theater, Beauty and the Beast, a 30th celebration, and The King and I, the 1999 animated version of The King and I. As a reminder, our brand new $1 a month bonus episode is dropping February 28th. What is it about? It's a secret. You'll have to donate and find out. Ooh, yes! You'll also get in this $1 a month tier, season one, that's 12 episodes of Radio Boy, a series for which I check in with myself via the non-musical theater songs that make me feel more like myself, and all 16 episodes of M3, the movie musical man, a series, oh, for which we watch uh, trios, trilogies of movie musicals that are tied by common themes. $3 a month will get you everything I've already described, plus a musical shout-out in the style of a character actor, or composer of your choosing, all ten episodes of Wildcats Everywhere, the high school musical podcast, Julie and the Phantoms, oh, that gets its own special one-off episode, and you get all 14 episodes of TV VIP, a series dedicated to musical television shows. $5 a month will get you everything I've already described, plus you get to stop the musical carousel and determine what show I discuss here on the podcast. You get seasons one and two, that's 24 episodes of All I Ask of You, an advice show hosted by the Phantom of the Opera, all 14 episodes in our Broadway and Chicago review series, and volumes one through six of Shout About It. These are collections of five, six, seven, eight coffee ads and musical shoutouts from the first 150 episodes. $10 a month will get you everything I've already described, plus exclusive announcements regarding future subjects of the main feed. Season one, that's 12 episodes of The Snub Club, a series dedicated to Broadway musicals that were snubbed. They were not nominated for the Tony Award for Best Musical. And finally, all 12 episodes of Turn It Off, a series dedicated to off-Broadway musicals. That's it. If you're listening to the show via Apple Podcasts or Pond Chaser, please take a moment to leave a five-star review. You can stream the show via Spotify, Audible, or Podbean. That's musicalmanpod.podbean.com. And you can email me at musicalmanpod at gmail.com. Email me. I love emails. Thanks, as always, to Patty and Benny in the booth out there in Chicago. Hello, hello. Alex Green, thank you for our beautiful logo, and thank you to Zach Little for our fabulous intro and outro music. Oh, you know what that sound means? Yes, just when the fun is starting comes the time for parting. Oh well, we'll catch up some other time, specifically on the next episode of The Musical Man. So long, farewell, off Vidashen, and good night.
Whoa!